0: Hello, and welcome to two nerds sitting on a couch in which two nerds sit on a couch and discuss science fiction and fantasy.
1: Do you have daddy issues? Would you like your sleeper to be awakened? Join two nerds sitting on a couch as we talk about doom. in nineteen fifty seven, Frank Herbert went to Florence, Oregon to write an article about the encroaching dunes because one of the things they were doing um, was trying to keep the dunes from shifting. And one of the things he realized while he was there was that these dunes were um, in many ways more powerful than um, tidal waves and, and tsunami in terms of the destructive power. They would, you know, just sort of... The wind would just blow them over whole Because don't, they, don't roads. they, like,
0: move around yeah. a lot? Yeah, and
1: so they were trying to stabilize them um, by, you know, having grass plantings. They brought in some European um, grasses to, to plant there. And one of the things they discovered is that it was an invasive species. And now they have another problem. It's a huge fucking this mess. invasive species. <laughs> Um, the article is never published, but the the that local library system still has his research material, which oh. includes, um, you know, not just books on ecology, but on like Marxism and philosophy. And, you know, so I mean, it, it, it's this collection of the stuff that he was thinking about at the time. And it's just, I, I mean, for me... I really like to think of him like going out and visiting those dunes and seeing, I mean, because this is the the largest coastal dunes, I think, in the world. It's this huge area that is just, you know, it, it would be the world of dune. You know, yeah. I mean, it's, it's this giant, you know, um, shifting sands and uh, it's a recreational area now. It is kind of cool to think that there's this place in Oregon that he went and saw dunes and got inspired to write this movie yeah i would like to think that villeneuve visited those dunes before um going to jordan and filming there um but you know to, to kind of capture that same experience that, that herbert must have had this awe of this really stark landscape yeah but but seeing the power of it like understanding the power of it that it it, it has the power to just bury civilizations and and then, you know, add on top of that the ecological nightmare of trying to seed the Dunes with grasses that then end up taking over, you know. <laughs> oh like, Oops, we didn't mean that, but...
0: <laughs> Can't uh, you take know, it back. I mean,
1: that's what happens, you know. I mean, like, you you try to make Dune a paradise, and you're gonna kill off the sandworms. I mean, that's just the way it works. Right. So... Um, anyway, I don't know. I, I just think that that's a, a really great way to think about how Villeneuve approached Dune, because he didn't just read the book. He thought about what Herbert was thinking about mm-hmm. you know and, and I think that that made it a much more powerful movie because he wasn't just trying to tick off the boxes you yeah. know, and, and like and like um, you know the the Lord of the Rings Jackson's Lord of the Rings um, you you get a sense of the of the power of the work mm-hmm. because he translates it really well to a different medium and you don't just sit there like trying to tick off the boxes of like yep Got the gumja bar scene. Oh, interesting. That's how he did it. Oh, whatever. I mean, there was some of that, but it's like the movie held together. It yeah. Was a cool. It was it was a spectacle. I mean, it was a yeah. landscape picture.
0: Yeah. I mean, that know? was that was one thing that we talked about at length. Is that you know when we rewatched Lynch's Dune, mm-hmm. like I mean that was the sort of avowed failure. One of them, <laughs> <laughs> but the one that I hadn't considered before is how terribly small the scale is. Yeah. Like. And you know because there there are a couple good scenes you know like when Paul's going with his thumper and and they're they're arrayed across the horizon but that's yeah. kind of maybe the biggest scene in that movie yeah and and, and and I think
1: part of the problem was that that was the budget he had to work with yeah like they had they had like kids out in Mexico clearing right. off a couple of hillsides you know three miles of, of hills right to make those dunes <laughs> right like right. they had to create them in Mexico right. because that was what he had to work with
0: and you know because like the landscape picture tm like the landscape picture is often associated with westerns Mm -hmm. which i think works really well
1: spaces yeah
0: great open spaces but there's often sort of an old testament uh kind of morality Mm -hmm. about a landscape picture like traditional western guy with a black hat
1: and boils
0: on his face and he's really fat and he floats (laughs) but But I mean, but I do think that there's these sort of stark um, questions of, of, you know, good and bad, but then also society versus wilderness Mm -hmm. and, and all of these like tensions between like, and not just society and wilderness, but also like the culture and, you know, people on the fringe
1: yeah. Or also, I mean, you have you have like insiders and outsiders in the sense that, mm-hmm. um, you know, Paul is the voice from the outer world. He comes into this mm-hmm. and co opts their prophecies for his right. own personal right. gain. And I mean, th- and they they go right along with it and accept yep. him as one of their own in, in, because he's not a local. Right. You know? And I mean, that's like very Western where you have like Clint Eastwood shows up into town, some lady cries about some some bad damn guy the, in a the black bad sheriff. And, yeah, the and, bad and sheriff fields and, and then you know Clint Eastwood has to go in and be like, I'm the Duke now and then, you know <laughs> right. gunfire. And then he always leaves at the end of it.
0: <laughs> right, right. But I mean I, like I was sort of aware of it this time because, you know, heretofore, um I mean, I think it's clear that the Fremen are sort of coded as "Quote unquote natives," right? Mm-hmm. They, these are Aboriginal people, right? And um, up until now, it's all been white on white. You know what I mean? Like the the Fremen are white, the Atreides are white, the everyone's white, right? Um, and this is very much the first time that you know the Atreides are still white because that's the way <laughs> it rolls. Mm-hmm. But um, the Fremen were definitely cast um, largely with people of color. And, and a real,
1: like, kind of mishmash, too, though, because it was like there were people who looked very Middle Eastern and then other people who looked very Sub Saharan Africa. You know what I mean? Like, right. the, the it range was a mix. there was like, yeah. which, I mean, I don't know that I necessarily have a problem because you're talking about a, a planet.
0: No, no, no. There yeah. are going to be
1: lots of different people on the planet, which is fine. But you know?
0: in terms of, like, you know, so in terms of narrative, like, on some level, it's funny because, like, I think it's absolutely appropriate and mm-hmm. right that they are cast as people of color. But it does make the fucking white savior narrative that much more clear. Yeah, so I thought that that was funny. Oh, yeah, so, but back to the our kind of starting point, which was, like, it was really exciting. Like, that was, like, like, step one in Villeneuve Dune being a good job was how enormous the scale was in terms, yes. like...
1: I have never seen spaceships so big. <laughs> I mean, I, and the, and just like getting yeah. a sense of how vast that yeah. desert is and how big the sandworms are. Which, yeah. I mean, even in Lynch's Dune, he he had big sandworms, but uh, kind of not really. But like
0: those harvesters were so toy boat, toy boat, yeah. toy boat. Yeah, he was
1: really limited. Lynch was totally was limited screwed. by, the, by he, the technology of his time. And, and that's and part screwed. of like... Yeah, no, totally. I mean, but I think that this is why, you know, we've got um we've got a, a Lord of the Rings adaptation that is just phenomenal because we have this technology to be able to do it. We've finally gotten mm-hmm. to the other side of the uncanny valley and we're climbing the other peak. Mm-hmm. I mean, this this Dune is a testament to CGI. I mean, they like they got ornithopters right. Mm-hmm. Finally, mm-hmm. you know, it's not just a box with like a piece of plywood on top for wings. I mean, right. this thing is like it's it's an ornithopter, you know. I mean, it's dragonfly instead of you know wings that would scoop like the air. Yeah. But I I think that it definitely captured the intent, and it was yeah. way cool looking. And the way they moved was very insect like. And the hunter seeker was an insect, and that was like w- there were a lot of insects, you mm-hmm. know, like beetles and and things that would show up as oh these little, I like... hadn't
0: cute on that, but you're totally right. And, that was and, like and a I, design choice. Yeah, I mean, I and I think that because I mean they're
1: they're they're. They made the point visually anyway. I don't know if anybody who hadn't read the books would catch it, um, but the little mouse, the Moabib,
0: mm-hmm.
1: w- runs up a, a dune and then like collects moisture in, in its in ears, ears and then and then drinks it. And that's the basis of the wind traps. It's like using all of these insects as prototypes for these human constructions in in the the space. And and I think in a, in, a, in a great sort of subtle way it reinforces the Fremen's connection with their land, with their space, Mm -hmm. with their ecology. Like they are at one with nature, even though they're highly technological, they are, they are adapting themselves to the desert. And that's what this movie was really about was this desert. That was, that was the, it was a landscape picture that we needed. You know, this is the the Lawrence of Arabia that it always should have been. Right. Because that's what this is. I mean, the book isn't called Paul, it's called Dune, right? You know, and I think that that right. it was just it was amazing to see how he handled the harvesters and the carryalls and the yes. you know, all of that even, stuff. It's just even even awesome. shit
0: like suspensor lights, I thought they yeah. got right. They got the suspensor yep. lights right. They got, I mean, there were all of these like tiny little things that like it's really only for people who are dorks about that sort of stuff. Yeah. And, and, and moreover, I think as a filmmaker, you do not have to play to those people. Like yeah. you don't have to play to me as like a Dune aficionado yeah. because like I am a small number of people. I think being legible right. and being good, you know, in a larger sense is more important. But at the same time, I have to say as the dude nerd, I totally appreciated.
1: Yep, and like, I don't know that like great. anybody who had not read it would know that that was was no amentat or B that that's who that was Mm-mm. in those scenes, you know, and and the import of of who he was and what he was doing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, you know, it doesn't matter. I mean, if mm-hmm. you've never read the book. This is still a good movie. You right. know, it's still a really great sci-fi film.
0: Right. Cuz they definitely cuz there's so many threads in the book that it's like you have to decide what you're going to emphasize and what you're going to de-emphasize. So they yeah. clearly clearly decided to uh de-emphasize both of the mentats. Like Thufur yeah. does not appear they sort of very much. On, but, yeah, there it's like yeah, it's fine. Um but then also uh the emperor is really only he's like metonymous through the sautokar. Mm-hmm. The sautokar in some ways are foregrounded and more. Right. Um the which, Emperor
1: is exposition.
0: Right. He yeah, he's alluded he's to. Yeah, he's a plot point um but you know, but the sautokar are there to sort of contrast with the Fremen as a fighting force. Yeah. Which makes total sense to me mm-hmm. and I, and I also have to say like we go to sautokar planet but what is that called? Salusus Agundus,
1: which sounds like a George Lucas Muppet character. Yeah, it really. Oh my Salacious god! Crumb Salacious the Crumb, the second,
0: and Salusus Agundus <laughs> are hanging out. Um. Anyway, so they go to the planet, and like, oh god, I wrote it down because, like, you know, we had the, so we all right, so we have watched it twice. We saw it in the theater, and then we watched it at home, and at home we put on the um the subtitles subtitles because we're old, <laughs> and. It opens and it says throat singing in Sagokar. <laughs> yeah. Which I really,
1: really loved I the loved sound it. of this. Loved I mean, the, it. The, the, the throat singing was great, but all of the, the, the sound design of this was mm-hmm. fantastic. I mean, they used subsonics so well. Mm-hmm. I mean, and they had foreign, like, like real foreign languages that sounded right. You mm-hmm. know, like Harkonnen sounded this like kind of guttural evil you know, pus ridden language. And the Sardukar <laughs> was very like yep. military, almost Nordic in a way. You yeah, know, yeah. Very, also very like just sort of harsh and harsh. Yeah. And, you know, I, I don't know that we any heard any, the tradies cause they just speak English, but yeah, you know, I mean, I think that, that all of that stuff was really cool. When, when you had the throat singer, I was just like, whew, that's some awesome, I would listen to a whole album of that throat singer, just throat <laughs> S- singing. S- S-
0: S- Sardukar. Sardukar
1: throat singing. <laughs> But it starts with that. I mean, that's like the very first thing is a is a Sardaukar voice saying that dreams are messages from the deep, mm-hmm. you know, which is like really interesting to think that the Sardaukar have religion. Yeah. You know, like the Fremen have religion. And this mm-hmm. is one of the things that, that Herbert is talking about, these fanatical fighters. And with Paul, I think Paul's struggle through the whole thing, though he was an idiot, <laughs> his struggle was to prevent the jihad. He did not want all of that Mm-mm. blood spilled in his name and he knew it was coming yeah. and and he couldn't stop it. It was inevitable yeah. and like at that point he should have just doubled down on it and, and you know leaned into the whole god emperor thing but whatever, that's fine. That's neither here nor there but the Sardaukar like religion was very um, what I would imagine the like Mithras cults being where Oh, sure. because you, you've got these like look, there's a scene where sort of there are all these like these men who are upside down crucified with their blood dripping into these giant—oh,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah—you know
1: uh, basins in the rain. So it's like the rain is mixing with the blood, and they're going and getting—and you get the sense that these aren't like slaves or something. These are Sardaukar who have volunteered to, to get like themselves killed crucified. so everybody else can drink their blood.
0: Who was the saint that got crucified upside down? It doesn't matter.
1: I don't know, but I'm pretty sure that Sardaukar didn't drink his blood for strength. No. Um, no. Or but, early Christians that I mean, But that's for the thing, that is that, is, is that you know, these armies are fueled by, by the blood of their martyrs, mm-hmm. you know, on, on, in kind of across the board. And that's always been true of armies, because mm. how do you convince someone that it's okay to die, or that you want to die in the service of your, your nation Right, and it's by cultivating these these martyr complexes, right, you know, right, um, which I think the Sardaukar did very well, and and I think that that's the thing that I really love about Villeneuve is that that was never in the book, but he took no. some, he took the essence of what the Sardaukar were, and translated it with that scene in a way with all of those hues that pointed to exactly what they were. Mm-hmm. I mean this is a prison planet this is like mm-hmm. a, a group of of men who have been broken down and then built up and yeah. now they are the the you know finest fighting force in the imperium And they
0: they do as far as they know they do show up actually fairly often in the first half of the book like the, mm-hmm. there are like speaking lines in the book from Saudakar.
1: Yeah well and I really like the conversation with with Pyter when he, they're walking along he's like you know, talking about how the Fremen and, and or uh, how the Atreides are, are are very, very well trained and the starter car is like, No, we're we're the best. And yeah. Piter's reaction is just so. <laughs> and I was like,
0: Oh, that is I that, really that is so perfect. I mean, it was it was kind of a bummer to me that like Pider was so like deemphasized because I really, really love that actor. I've seen him yeah. in a bunch of stuff and he like I've seen him in really different things. I can't remember his name, unfortunately, poor guy but um he's he's wonderful like his even his little bits here were very good yeah the just so was just delivered perfectly <laughs> yeah it was so no, good. It was really like, good like whatever well, is,
1: like i mean this this movie really needed the hands of a just a master of this craft of of science fiction direction you mm-hmm. know and, and i mean a collection of just really great actors um, just doing, doing their best, doing what they do. You know, I mean, it was all really, really well done.
0: All right. So I think what we should do is kind of start at the beginning and then just start going through it. Right.
1: Yeah. Well, it starts with a Sardaukar Throat Singer.
0: Right. Saying dreams are messages from the deep, which I think that, you know, we should kind of put a pin in that because like the, the sort of, the concept of dreams keeps coming up over and over and over and over and um, I mean and this kind of comes up in a lot of the other iterations that we've seen like I think that's probably must be in the source material but i don't remember it that strongly but like even in the dune lynch there's the sleeper must awaken there's yeah, all, there's that's all textual. of this yeah like there's all of this because
1: well, paul's dreams are, are a really pivotal part of at least the first couple of chapters because yeah. you know you, you he uses that as foreshadowing to say here's what's going to happen mm-hmm. you know and that and it and it stays foreshadowing throughout the whole thing i mean like he 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 just sort of lets you know more and more like i'm seeing these visions of mm-hmm. my own death here and you're like, oh my god, are you gonna die?
0: Yeah. What's happening? You know, well, it's like. Yeah, and as, cool. like at the very end, when they're like kind of overloading him on spice, like he has a hard time differentiating like waking reality from dreams. Like right. he is having waking dreams so strongly that he doesn't really even know what's real and what Well, isn't. and I
1: think part of that's intent, and that's all in the book, not in this movie, but like. No, no, no. Well, I think we that haven't that's, that's gotten intentional there. because um, there is no difference between past and future for.
0: The Haderach. for the Haderach, right? Yeah. I mean,
1: like, so of course he wouldn't necessarily know, and that's the real, the real is the one who can anchor himself in time, mm-hmm. and and be at the time and space that he's actually in, um, yeah. Which I mean, you get a sense of that when Paul like escapes the um, in in the scene where they're trying to get all the guys off of the the sandcrawler. And he disappears and and ends up just having a vision on the sand. And this isn't in the book, but it was really well done because it's like you see how the spice affects him in a very visual and dramatic way instead of having a damn voiceover. Yeah. You know, like this movie had like very little voiceover and very much acting. Yeah, which is great. And yeah, it was just fantastic. But yeah, I mean, I think dreams are really important, not just in the sense of... Prophetic dreams, but the I have a dream, like as as a Duke from Caladan that I can make Arrakis work, right. that I can I can join with the Fremen.
0: Or, or Liet Kynes, who has a dream about the greening of Arrakis. Or yeah. yeah.
1: I mean, and that's and that's part of it is that it's like we are we're all part of and, and this kind of gets back to like one of the underlying themes, which is this sort of um, mass consciousness mm-hmm. that this or almost like a Gaia hypothesis where we are The the nervous system of our planet where, Mm -hmm. you know, we we share these dreams together, um, but we're not always, you know, in sync with each other. Like people Mm -hmm. are often have this inner conflict.
0: Right, right, right. So, yeah. So it opens with dreams or messages from the deep spoken by a saddle which Mm -hmm. is an interesting choice.
1: And a throat singer, which is like just (laughs) I just love the sound of it. I
0: know it's so fucked up. Um, But then there it does start. I, I really like this because it does start instead of it being Arielon being like know this it is the year mm-hmm. ten one ninety one it's it's Chani um talking about the beauty of, beauty of her planet and then talking about the expressive the like uh, oppressive extractive technologies that have you know materially damaged her life. Yeah. And like, and, and how, you know, wh- like watching this change over, like, so who's going to be the next asshole who comes and oppresses us? Right. The
1: Harkonnens finally left, but not because of what we were doing. Yeah.
0: And... It's didn't, didn't work that way. Anyway. So I thought it was interesting. Like, it was definitely like kind of a flex and a choice to be like, fuck Irulan. We're going to, we're going to open with Chani instead. Yeah. Like that in, in some ways it turns her into the de facto narrator. Because that, like, because Irulan is a de facto narrator, right. for sure in the book, and definitely in Lynch.
1: Yeah, and I, I think as a character, she tends to get downplayed in all of the adaptations for some reason. Um, but she's really central to the book. I mean, their Paul and her relationship forms a lot of his motivation. You know, yeah. like Although... a lot of what he does is, is as a result of either trying to meet her or. Right trying to save her or, you know, I mean, but it's in relationship to her, you know, like thinking about, well, I'll marry Irland, but I mean, she's not my wife. She's not my queen, you Mm -hmm. know, like Chani is. And and it's very clear that that's his primary relationship.
0: Yeah. Although, I mean, again, having, I mean, she's important structurally as a motivating force for Paul, but in a lot of ways she's not really a character. Like you don't, Mm -hmm. you don't get a lot of her, like, in the book, you know, I mean, she does... She's just a badass. Yeah, she is actually largely just a badass, which I'm into, and she does actually fight with Paul, you know, where he's like, you should do this, and he's like, she's like, maybe you should fuck off, I'm gonna go do this. Right. Um, Well, yeah, because,
1: I mean, women are very empowered in this, in this world. Mm -hmm.
0: Although, I mean, there's definitely... Even though,
1: like, if you happen to say, kill Jameis you are going to get his wife and kids and coffee service.
0: Coffee service. <laughs>
1: so many oh coffee services. Oh, my God. Because that was one one of the things, like, Liette, at some point, they get to the, eco- the old ecological testing station as a hideout, and she's like, you know, I-, I want this. Find still suits for them and get me a coffee service. And I was like, oh, my God. She actually said the words coffee service.
0: <laughs> like... And I, I actually, I like, we both started just kind of clapping because it was, again, it was like the coffee service is this hilarious thing to people who are nerds about that book. But I don't think anybody else would key on it. No, because I mean, like,
1: if you kill a guy, you get his wife and kids and coffee (laughs) service. You know, I mean, like, apparently you don't really have anything else of value. I mean, you get his water, obviously, like whatever. Yeah. You know, the water rings he had, but his water, the body, uh, his water in his body goes back to the tribe. No, except for what you get to drink for replacing your, Your, yeah, right, whatever. But I mean, which then later when when uh, Chani and Hara are are fighting off all of the, the <laughs> potential people who are like you know Amtal rule on Muad'Dib, and they're like, no, no, you, you're not worthy of him. We're just going to kill you right now. And we were kind of joking about how like there's this stack of coffee services <laughs> that they're collecting from killing all these guys who are challenging Paul oh but never getting God. to Paul. So his tent is just like behind this stack of coffee services. <laughs> From all the people that, that Chani and Hera have killed. Yeah. But so that, that's not in this movie.
0: No, no. but We the don't co- get to see the, the coffee like,
1: service pile.
0: The coffee service is in it, which made, like totally made my heart warm. I was like, yeah. oh, Villeneuve, you totally know me. Yeah. You know me. Yeah. Okay, but anyway. The,
1: but it, importantly, I think the voiceover with, with Chani at the beginning was a voiceover of her narrating what she's doing at the time. Like, she's talking about the struggle with the heart yeah, and... That's what they they had, you know, as the the visuals. And importantly, when later, um, speaking of Jameis, he is um, in Paul's visions as well as like as kind of this sort of spirit guide, like Mm -hmm. dropping knowledge and wisdom on him, even though there's no way Paul would have ever had that conversation with him, at least not in this timeline. No, no, because there's no way for it to have.
0: It, yeah it's just it, like it wouldn't have happened but right. Duncan is one of those characters that like you think of him as being a bigger deal in Dune because in the later books he shows up over and over yeah. and over they clone <laughs> the shit out of that dude for yeah, really literally do. thousands of years yep. and so but kind of badass. kind of he's dead by the end of act one you know
1: yeah I mean and that's you know, it was a great testament to his badassery, like, how many Sardaukar he ended up killing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and people kind of calculated it out based on that scene and, and other things that it was, like, almost 20. So it's, mm-hmm. like, a 20 to 1 kill ratio for that guy. Like, mm-hmm. he's he is the Imperium's finest fighter at that point.
0: mm mm-hmm.
1: You know? And and that's yeah he is a towering that's, badass. That's some it's pretty total- cool character development until he dies, and then it's like I guess his arc is over.
0: Yeah, it's just him. well, this one anyway. Okay, <laughs> so we have the dreams from messages from the deep, and then it opens with Chani.
1: Drums in the deep. Drums. I'm sorry. Dreams. Drums.
0: Dreams in the deep. <laughs> um. So then, the next we move to Caladan, and we open with um. You know, there's some scenes, some scenes. And then we see Paul with Jessica and having breakfast and sort of talking about things. You know, he's like, oh, there's a ceremony today. Um, Because there's like some sort of bullshit, ceremonial bullshit that they have to go through with the the changeover. Mm -hmm. Um, Like a
1: herald is coming from the emperor.
0: Right. And he's like, oh, um, so I have to wear ceremonial clothes. Is that military or... I can't remember the He's like, in a military
1: dress, and she's like, ceremonial. Yeah,
0: right. But
1: It's a ceremony.
0: Yeah, but I thought, I mean, like, one of the reasons I didn't like the miniseries is that Paul was a petulant baby, yeah. and that um, this Paul very clearly immediately shows that he is well versed in despite
1: being homeschooled by his
0: religious fanatic mom right That he's <laughs> but he's well versed in like oh there's this thing happening which kind of dress is it like that that's somebody who knows exactly where he is in the org chart <laughs> you Yeah,
1: know no totally well and, and there's there's some question later that he wants to you know he, he has a conversation with his dad about that you know mm-hmm. like what if i don't want and his dad is like very dad like. I want Oscar Isaacs for my dad. Oh my like, god! All you are already everything I want you to be, which is my son. And I was like, no Duke in the history of Dukes has ever duped that shit.
0: Yeah, no. But whatever, I totally that's fine. Do. He's
1: he's an enlightened Duke, and
0: I mean, whatever. Yeah, I mean, that's one of those things. Like, definitely, um, I feel like they added in they added in that scene with Paul and yeah. and Lido, and I actually I don't mind. I don't, I mean, mean, again, I think it's something that Villeneuve took from, right. so,
1: okay, if Podorowski was raping Frank Herbert, (laughs) in his words, I think Villeneuve was, was like, actively collaborating with him.
0: You mean he was making slow, tender love? Yeah, sweet, sweet love.
1: Um, I, I think that what he was doing was taking what Herbert, it's almost like he was writing scenes that Herbert had forgotten to, or you know, I mean, because you can't just take the book and translate it directly, and that's something that he did throughout this whole thing. Yeah, there are places where there should be direct quotes, and there aren't. Mm-hmm. And he changes it to mean what the scene means, mm-hmm. and it ends up feeling a lot less like a play because mm-hmm. you're waiting for the phrase, you know, mood is a thing for love making and cattle. cattle, and and he says, you know, what does mood have to do with it? And he, he has this whole thing about how, like, that's stupid, pay attention. Fighting right. happens when it happens, and and that's what what it means, you know. And and that kind of helped for me to for him to translate right. those lines into the action of the scene,
0: right? So that you're not just sitting around waiting for like the direct quote, but more understanding the larger gestalt of the scene.
1: Yeah. Right. Which when so I don't know if this is next or not, but when the when the Gom Jabbar shows up, um, the import of that scene wasn't clear to me in um reading the book or any of the other adaptations. And that scene is in all of them because it's a really important scene where she's got the needle at his neck and she's like, you know, we're, we're testing whether you're human or not, whether, whether mm-hmm. or not you're an animal. But Villeneuve takes it one step further and she says, um, you have, you inherit too much power to, to for us to not test you. And if we test you and find you wanting, we are going to kill you because you you yourself, your body contains an enormous amount of power that we can't let somebody like, you know, Beast Raban have. Right. You know, like we need to make sure that you are that you are human, that you are able to control your emotions. And 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 then the metaphor of the you know when a when a fox is caught in a trap, it'll chew its own leg off to then go kill the person or whatever. Um.
0: It'll chew. It'll right. just chew off of its own leg. The human will wait. To kill right, the wait, trapper, to, right,
1: and and that's the the thing I think that is very interesting because then in that scene he locks eyes with her at one point, and you you can totally tell he's waiting for the trap to be released so that he can come kill her. Yes, you know. And if I had seen that look from him from the potential Ads Haderach, I'd be quaking in my Bene Gesserit boots.
0: Yeah, because that's terrifying. It was it was played beautifully. Like I so like well I done. really I really felt um, how much it hurt. Mm-hmm. Like the way, like you see him, like he's beginning, and then, like once he gets on top of it and and starts being like, what, yeah, like then it's scary. Yeah, it's, it's scary. It was just a
1: really powerful scene, you know, <laughs> and,
0: and it was what
1: the what Herbert meant, rather right. than being word for word what was said
0: I mean the the other thing is like that scene is I, first, second, third scene in the book I mean it's really yeah. early and that was when the book sucked yeah like those those early <laughs> scenes were so badly written that it's like yeah I mean th- this is what it should have been yeah I, is, I think the this pacing this is correct
1: of it, the, the, the layout of the, the first couple of scenes were much better than, than the way they were done in the book I mean I oh think my that, God. that it's paced way better you yeah. know
0: yeah So, I mean, and that was, like, a little farther than, like, backing up just a tiny bit. We, um, you know, we we have Paul talking with Leto. There's a ton of the bull imagery.
1: Yeah, there's a little bull statue, which is very nice and abstract.
0: Yeah, and that shows up regularly, and it's even in the dialogue. He's like, oh, you know, your, your father was always, you know, out... Fighting bulls, and he's like, well, "How did that turn out for him?" Yeah,
1: well, and they had the actual the big bull head mounted, and there are shots of it. And I kept waiting for like when they when they get to um arrakis for Jessica to be like, "No, have that hung there and the portrait there, whatever." And it never happened. And it occurred to me later that that's another example of Villeneuve taking the gist of of what happened. I mean, he didn't make a big deal of it, but it was there. She didn't yeah. need to say anything. It was. You know, yeah. the crating and uncrating happened in the the large area. Right. And you can see that there's this through line of this, you know, this bull and what it represents to not just Leto, but to Paul.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean, like, for example, like, they also de-emphasize all of that early period in Iraq, Arakeen, when the Atreides first come to Erechine mm-hmm. In the book, it, it's a significant period of the book where they're... You know, dealing with people and having formal dinners, and right. you know, screwing around with smugglers and water yep. merchants. I would and the have rest liked to have
1: seen that dinner in this. I movie. would
0: too, but I totally, I totally version. get why this was it was de-emphasized yeah. in this because it's not it's not actually important.
1: Yeah, to, well, because you like, can the tell the, spine po- the, of the this. politics of it in broader strokes than right. you know. You don't need all of that detail. No, no, no it's no, no. just it would have been nice.
0: Yeah, I mean, just because I want to see it just not because it was necessary to right. this the adaptation. Anyway, so that was one thing. Um the next sort of thing um he, you know, you mentioned this earlier the whole like mood is for love playing cattle. Right. And uh and so you know, we're introduced to Gurney when Paul is, you know, he's doing his little like practice mm-hmm. and And they do throw in the, like, I would have known it was you. You shouldn't stand with your back. back Um, But then, um, you know, you and I kind of went back and forth about whether we thought that, uh, God, what's that actor's name? Josh
1: Brolin. Brolin.
0: Um, Whether we thought Brolin was, I mean, I thought he was... Wonderful. I mean, he's a he's a great actor, and he did a great job. Wonderful. I
1: I just think like my concept of Gurney was more of the the Balissette player, yeah, and the, and the poet. And this Gurney is more of a military man. Fighter. He's he's. I mean, you get the sense. I mean, I, I think this is true of all of the people who who are um, in the Atreides uh, umbrella. They all have been in some way. Scarred by the the heart. yeah. Um, and and that really comes through in the scene where he talks about like how brutal they are. And when he says that word, it's just, I mean, it's packed with emotion. You feel I mean, it.
0: You feel it in your bones. I mean, it is just
1: incredible. You know that they did something so nasty to him. Yeah. That he is going to fight them. Like n- not just like fight them, but he's going to die for the person who's fighting them
0: well and and it also shows how how paul is this kind of dumb kid you know yeah,
1: he's been homeschooled he's been, he His really whole life, like he's been really sheltered like at that breakfast with his mom his mom's like okay use the voice he's like come on mom i'm I tired use the voice. you know but it's like no i mean when you're when you're being homeschooled it's 24 hours a day at school
0: <laughs> only when you're a duke i think regular homeschool people are more sensible
1: i don't know she's still a religious fanatic
0: ah anyway so yeah but like i kind of went back and forth because i i didn't obviously this was the take that villeneuve wanted to do he wanted Mm -hmm. to emphasize his like kind of fighting skills and de-emphasize his sort of false staffian like good time guy he does quote things he does quote things but it's like there are several scenes in the book where they're like could you please like play a song while i die horribly like i mean literally that happens and And so you kind of get the sense that he's like more of a good time guy. Mm -hmm. But, and, and clearly that wasn't, that wasn't the choice here and that's fine. Um, And so I think that Brolin was absolutely the, the, he fucking knocked it out of the park. For this interpretation, it's just, I kind of wish it were a little different, but also this was really good.
1: Yeah. I mean, I kind of also wish that they hadn't shaved Jason Momoa, but whatever, that's fine.
0: Yeah. Right. It's one of those things where it's just like. This was totally cromulent. There's nothing wrong with it. I'm yeah. not bitching. I'm just saying I definitely had something else in my head.
1: Yeah, no, totally. But, I mean, also with Jason Momoa, I think some of his acting ability is in his beard.
0: Really? I do. Huh. He's, he's like a... Not as, he's not as... Is that, who is that? Uh, Samson? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like with his beard? Um... Yeah, let's see. But there Um, is a
1: great interaction between Duncan Idaho and Paul early on, where Duncan Idaho flies in you know, to establish the fact that he's a badass pilot, and then later Gurney alludes to him being the actual weapons master, so he's mm -hmm. a badass swordsman. Like he's the Han Solo of this. I mean, he is he is the the real hero of of the first part of this book, you know. I mean he he gives his life Mm -hmm. for, you know, Paul. Um, but there's this little interaction with him and Paul where, he, you know, they're just sort of talking because Paul's like, can I go with you? Because I don't want you to die. You get the sense that there's a real relationship between these two. Yeah, yeah. Like, love. Not just duty or or family or nobility or whatever. I mean, they really, really like each other. Yeah. You know? like, genuinely. And it's like, um, but also, you know, Duncan Idaho would totally give his life for, for Paul in a way that... Mm. And, and I mean, I get the sense that Paul would give his life for, for Idaho. I mean, he He's trying position, to. Yeah, he's he's in a position to do that. I just love the end of that scene though, where he like he feels he's like you've been putting on muscle. And he's like you think, and he's like no. <laughs> <laughs> <It's> <laughs> because true. I mean, they can also joke around. It's not so serious, and that was like Lynch's had very few jokes in it. Yeah, you
0: know? I mean, I think that's. I mean, that's one of the lawn. Opening things is the, like Paul had no children as friends growing up Yeah, he was one of those children who was surrounded by adults until he became an adult well
1: And when you see him relaxing he's hanging on the barracks with right. You know, I um, mean, Idaho. he's just <laughs> yeah
0: He was just never a child Um Also in that Duncan scene dreams show up again because Paul is like I had a dream that you died and he's like Duncan says to him he's like dreams make good stories, but they're not what matters is what happens when you're awake yeah which is kind of an interesting thing to say to the quiz that's
1: well but also i mean he's not understanding that paul's dreams are prescient that he paul is seeing the future this is reality right he but is that... awake it's just not yet
0: right but i'm <laughs> i'm just saying it, it is definitely like there's a play there there's a yeah. there's, a, there's a, a it's playing with like what is going to happen and whatever. But it,
1: but it also points to the, the fundamental difference between Paul and every other human is that Paul is an evolutionary step up the ladder and, and he is fundamentally alone because of that. Because of his genetic heritage,
0: mm-hmm.
1: he isn't really human anymore you know no. i mean and in fact like his one of his kids is definitely not human anymore no he's a giant you know?
0: fucking sandworm
1: um but but i think this kind of points to the the ultimate loneliness of the path that paul is walking and has walked he doesn't have any friends as a kid but also mm-hmm. he's got no peers as an adult like he's got nobody that understands no. who or what he is until alia shows up much much later mm-hmm. you know i mean i think that, and that's something that that like you kind of get here you don't really understand that, that he's been trained as a mentat, which I think is an important thing, for, like intellectually. But like I'm totally fine with cutting it out of the movie because yeah, it's I not mean, it's not necessary. It doesn't translate
0: well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, let's see. There, there are very few scenes with Yue. Like yeah. we don't get a lot with him. Um, the one scene that we get with him, like it's like right before Paul goes to see the uh, uh, Helen Gaius Mohaim. Mm-hmm. Um, like Jessica is like, could you look him over? And, you know, so UA does a bunch of like kind of feeling him reiki looking bullshit. Mm -hmm. And I thought this was really, really cool because in Lynch, you have the Mentats who are human computers and have like, you know, they've turned into, you know, these computational people on mm-hmm. this unbelievable level you have know, the Bene Gesserit who have this mastery of their bodies um, and then to have a doctor be the same way
1: yeah I mean I think that was another example of Villeneuve taking yeah. what Herbert did and just sort of caressing it lovingly yeah because like, that's why wouldn't a, like, it be like this yeah because you would have a doctor who wouldn't need a scalpel he'd be able to touch you in in you know pressure yeah. points and, and like feel and, it and, and, and you know like he doesn't need instruments
0: he, he, is, is, the he is the instrument. Ah! You know? Which is
1: awesome because I never picked that up throughout any like I don't even know that necessarily Herbert was conscious of that. Um, no, he didn't. Because he do just it talked about way. the soot conditioning that they were safe for, for right. royalty. But it's like they also would be they also would be these like phenomenal doctors. You're not gonna mm. like you mm. know, just you know, train them to be safe around you. You're you're trained because I mean, in a lot of ways, a doctor has your life in their hands in a way that Others don't. But I mean, let's be realistic. If the Duke is sparring with somebody and they have edged blades, like you're just as much in danger from that person right, as you are from your doctor who has, you know, that was drugs actually and whatever
0: one of the like sort of weaker points of the book, I thought, but yeah. whatever. But it doesn't it matter.
1: He made it really strong and he made, really yeah. interesting. It was you know he
0: didn't he didn't actually even talk about the imperial conditioning though. It was like no. not it was not even and because like there's a whole subplot in the book where the duke is supposed to supe- suspect Jessica is a betrayer, and Thufer turns into a big dick about it, and mm-hmm. the, like all of that, all that stuff is dumb, and nobody needs to see it. Like, yeah. I, but I'm super there, glad I mean, I think, it's not like, there.
1: I, and I and I I, I I hesitate to even call it fan service, but it is. I mean, if you've read the book, all of those things are there. But I think that it just gives you more subtlety and more understanding in in what the movie is doing you don't have to have read the book to to appreciate the movie but if you have read the book it's got all of these other layers in it
0: yeah yeah totally i mean yeah
1: but you're totally right about yui where you know it's yeah i mean he would work with his hands yeah he would be able to you know i mean yeah he would be able to cut you open and do open heart surgery but sure. like, probably he wouldn't need to because he's you know Got the pressure point thing down. Inside. Yeah,
0: but I def- I definitely like that take where it's it like a natural extension of what do like what Herbert put in there, yeah. but didn't. But Herbert himself didn't like sort of see that as right. a possibility. Yeah, where it was like obviously this is the w- way it would be. Yeah, like given everything else about the world, this is the way it would be. Yeah, and it was so it was beautifully done. I really loved it. Yeah, um, I wasn't as excited about the Hunter Seeker. I'm okay with it in the it same way fine. that I'm okay
1: with the Ornithopters. Like, I really want the Ornithopters to look like hawks.
0: Yeah. But
1: the dragonflies, worked, they look like Apache helicopters in, in yeah. the way that they, they are military mm-hmm. and and just like, they are clearly a, a, an item of warfare. And in also, the same way that the Hunter Seeker, it's like a giant, nasty mosquito. Like, yeah. you don't want to see that flying around.
0: It's like a Skeeter Eater. Let
1: alone something with intent, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, what was I gonna say?
1: You didn't like the hunter seeker?
0: Oh, I didn't. I thought it was dumb because I I don't know. I really like the steampunk as fuck one. I know. I, I and, really and, like in it Lynch. Too. I I, I just, wish that somebody I think that would was really sell good.
1: like a ballpoint pen that is a hunter seeker. Yeah, from I would Lynch.
0: be super into that. Um, but I did like the ornithopters, even though I was like, I want them to be birds, but then I was like, this would look really stupid, and. I did like that the ornithopters did the, like, tucking their wings back and diving thing. Yes. Which is described in the book several times. Yep. And I was like, oh, you're doing it. I love it. But
1: they also did, in the escape later on, um, when they're up in the in the clouds, they did mm-hmm. the fixed wing thing where you can fix the wings and glide. Yeah. Yeah. Which is oh. in the book. Like, that's, they captured I love it. the essence of an ornithopter.
0: Mm-hmm. No, I totally and love it. And what makes
1: them different from other types of aircraft?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so then another change from the book is when they go... I, thought, I did actually think it was funny that they refer to Kynes, Dr. Kynes as Liet Kynes. Mm-hmm. Because Liet is his name in the siege. Right. And Kynes is his name in the Imperium. Mm-hmm. They, it is not like a hyphenated name.
1: Right, but it's also not, I mean, what's the likelihood of an imperial planetologist being a hereditary position? That seems so unlikely. Right, but I I just, I
0: was just like, that's not, whatever, it's fine. I also thought it was cool and interesting that they changed the gender on Liat Kynes.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it was an interesting experiment, for sure. And it worked. I mean, you don't really get the sense of the relationship between Kynes and Chani. Um, Right, if you hadn't read the book, but I don't know that that's supposed to be until the sequel. I don't know that that's something that you're supposed to know. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it, it worked just fine. I mean, I, I, I happen to really love Lynch's kinds. Um, well, the it's he it's did, but they, it's, uh... I mean, they capture it just as well. You yeah.
0: Know? Yeah. Um, and like I, and I wrote down when I was watching it, I was like, Oh, you know, his ability to Paul's ability to um, wear his, his still suit like set his still suit up properly is an example of his precincts. Yeah, it's He's like
1: remembering the future, which
0: I all kind of didn't style. get before. But that I don't know if that's necessarily because of this movie, but just because like I'm super dumb and it took me 25 <laughs> years. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but anu- like, but there's a, like another major change is in the book and the Lynch version and I think the mini series, like it's because the Harkonnens have fucked off with the carryall that, that all goes to shit. Because there's like, they go to see a harvester, the harvester's there, they have worm sign, they're like, it's five minutes out and what's supposed to happen is the carryall is supposed to come and then pick the harvester up and fuck off. And like in all of these other adaptions and the original... It's because there's like and sabotage. They've taken the carry-all and they've gone away. Right. Um, in this one, they don't do it that way. Instead, they have the carry-all show up and it tries to like lock on. It's got like four like kind of pneumatic arms that mm-hmm. are supposed to pick it up. One of them just fucking breaks. Like, it's just dumb. And yeah. like maybe it's sabotage or maybe it's just everything is junk yeah doesn't matter but it kind of it, it also
1: and, and they address that later with Kynes, where he's like didn't you see it was sabotage and she's like well i mean it's just a bunch of old equipment in right. a shambles." and you you start to understand that part of the problem with the the heart is not just that they're brutal or whatever it's that they're they're slum lords yeah. you know <laughs> Like all they care about is sucking money out of this place, they and of are. course everything is going to be falling apart because they don't care about people. No, so they would rather have like carryalls exploding. But you better get that spice off of there before it does. Right. Because if, if the sandworm doesn't kill you, I will.
0: Yeah, no. I mean, yeah. It's definitely like go to war. You've got a gun at your back and your front. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's totally the Soviet Union. Yeah, like... no, they're
1: terrible. I mean, I think that comes through in, in that in that interchange there. I think Villeneuve managed to like pull that subtlety yeah. out, of, out of the, you know. Yes. it's like, yeah, of course they wouldn't have kept it. This wasn't even sabotage. They just didn't care.
0: Or maybe it was. Who even fucking knows does not matter? No. It doesn't. Yeah the whole thing is a mess. And so I I thought that was a, a like a cool and interesting change because it doesn't it doesn't even have to be active.
1: Yeah. The has well,
0: just left you a bunch of garbage. And
1: how it ended up was that the, like the carry-all shows up but it's broken and then the backup carry-all doesn't show up because that could have been sabotage.
0: It, they didn't even mention a backup carry-all in this one. It's not even a thing. No, they tried to call for one. Oh, did they? Yeah, they were like all There's carry-alls,
1: just... please somebody come and like
0: yeah, I'm uh, sorry. No yeah. There's nobody here, yeah, and so I mean, yeah and then and then this is also the scene where Paul like you know I, I really like the way they show the spice in the air as these sort of red sparkles yeah,
1: it's very rave like
0: yeah, right He should have like a like a pacifier and <laughs> and like those glow things yeah. around his neck anyway, but um, he was the
1: one to suggest taking out the the shield generators to right. make room for the men and I think in the book in Lynch it was a seats. They took the seats out, but it's like, I mean, that was I Paul's idea, have... and he's like, You start seeing him like becoming a leader, yeah, you know, figuring out, yeah, you know, how to make this work, and you know,
0: yeah, totally. going out there
1: and yelling at them to, you know, step over
0: here, come on, come over here, come here on. yeah, hell, I'm just gonna like
1: kneel over here by the harvester, yeah, but hold
0: on, <laughs> I'm gonna have a precinct waking dream,
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't know if you caught though, like, when so Duncan goes to find him and. He mumbles, you know, like I know, I know your footsteps, old man. Like, you know, I shouldn't have my back to the door. Yeah, and that's I did the scene. That. He's like because he's probably having some weird reverie of some either other timeline or what happened in the past. But yeah, like, he's out of it. But he's he out knows of it. that gurney's behind him,
0: like enough to sort of repeat. Yeah, that. I mean, like
1: that's what's happening. Like in his reality, it's like, haha, wouldn't this be a funny joke if I weren't about to die? <laughs>
0: Totally true. I mean, I thought that whole scene was really, and then like their run, and the the sandworm shows up, and um, and you know, I mean, I I I haven't had a problem with any of the other sandworms um at all, Mm -hmm. um, but I think that they definitely did a good job of sense of scale, and um, you know, the the way those spine, they're more like porcupines than they are like yeah, they're
1: to keep things in
0: yeah. Which, yeah,
1: but, but like, the thing I don't get about that is like, what is it eating? Other sandworms? like
0: I, I kind of, <laughs> I mean, get...
1: that's not the, the ecology of it is, is that it 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 filters uh, sand plankton, so it's more I was like the like like, a, like a krill, um, yeah. But I mean, I, I I don't know. It does it does kind of look like an anus. The internet you... was not wrong. Oh, it, it,
0: that was something I wrote down somewhere. It was a uh, anal dentata. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Anyway, so in interest of having like podcasts of like regular sensible length, um, I think we're going to stop here um, just because there's a lot more to say about Dune, um, about the villain of Dune. So we are kind of right at the precipice of when, um, you know, like they have the Atreides have come to Dune. They have, you know, they're beginning to sort of settle in just in time, you know, and that's when Fire Nation attacked. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, I think that that's the end of this one. High five. High five.